For the last several months, a core group of members of my team and I have been interviewing firms to partner with us on a diversity, equity, and inclusion journey. With every interview, I feel like I've learned more about myself than I have about the consultants and the firms. I am a white woman of privilege. I run this business. I have at times found myself oblivious to my privilege and my power. And as someone who has been an LGBT activist, maybe I thought I had insights or perspectives that would make the journey less bumpy. But it's been bumpy. And I'm very grateful for the grace and generosity of my team members who are leading with me. That brings me to my point, to my guest, and to our conversation. You might think I want to talk about the importance of DEI work. Kinda. Thanks to my guest today, I see DEI work differently. It's not some standalone project that you do and then integrate into your organization, and God knows it's not about box checking. DEI work is about leadership. You get no claim on leadership, authentic leadership, without taking this journey. I met today's guests while on our journey to find someone to help us with DEI journey, and what I found was a leadership guru, and I'd like you to meet her. Greetings and welcome to Nonprofits Are Messy. I'm your host, Joan Gary, founder of the Nonprofit Leadership Lab, where we help smaller nonprofits thrive. I'm also a strategic advisor for executive directors and boards of larger nonprofits. I'm a frequent keynote speaker, a blogger, and an author on all things leadership and management. You can learn more at joangary.com. I think of myself as a woman with a mission to fuel the leadership of the nonprofit sector. My goal with each episode is to dig deep into an issue I know that nonprofit leaders are grappling with by finding just the right person to offer you advice and insights. Today is no exception. Ella Bell has built her life and her career around transforming other people's lives. Through teaching, mentoring, leading, and inspiring, she has shown them the impact knowing yourself can have on every aspect of your life. Her insight enables people to have self-confidence, self-awareness, and to be their authentic selves. Working in the field of organizational behavior and change, she is one of the leading experts in the management of race, gender, and class in the workplace. She has been a consultant to Fortune 100 and 500 companies and public institutions on the advancement of all women in the workplace, as well as issues related to authentic leadership for both men and women. Professor Smith's research interests focus on the career and life history of professional women, and she is currently studying issues of personal leadership. Her book, Career GPS, Strategies for Women Navigating the New Corporate Landscape, offers proven techniques for women wishing to advance their careers. With colleague Stella Nicomo, she co-authored the groundbreaking and critically acclaimed book, Our Separate Ways, Black and White Women and the Struggle for Professional Identity, which provides an unflinching look at the formative experiences of female leaders, female executives, and reveal that Black women have chartered a unique path up the corporate ladder. Are you intrigued? I bet you are. Ella Bell, thank you for joining us. Hello, 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 Joan. I'm so happy to be here. You know, I've been I've been looking forward to this conversation and, and thank you for inviting me. I'm like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> Hang out time with Joan. Yes. Uh, well, I've been looking forward to giving my listeners the opportunity to hear you and offer your insights. So, so um, let's get to it. Um, so one of the classes that you teach at Tuck at Dartmouth is called Leadership Outside the Box. 
So I want to start by talking about what leadership looks like for you. And given the title of this course, I'm pretty sure that I'm not going to find your definition of leadership in Webster's. No, I don't think so. Um, it's funny. That's I've been teaching that course. You, you teach what you need to learn. Um, the course is about discovering who are you. Um, and I think it's important. I think that as a leader, as a human being, you're so much better if you know who you are, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Um, and I decided that our students needed to, to understand their life journey and how it impacted their leadership view, their leadership perspective. So in this little course, outside of the box, how do I think about leadership? Think about leadership as a journey. I don't think that once you get in the leadership uh, suite that all of a sudden, you know, you click on, well, now I'm a leader. Um, I think since the day we're blessed to be on this planet, our life journeys influence our values, our, tra tra our beliefs, our traditions, um, how we interact with people, how we feel about ourselves. And all that goes into making up who you are as a leader. Um, it's not the charismatic leader that, you know, we all read about and think about. And, you know, the, the one who walks in and everybody has all the answers and everybody's, oh, um, no, it's not. Um, and it's also understanding that you have to understand when the universe sends you those little openings in the door. You have the courage, the chutzpah, um, the curiosity to walk through that door. Um, so it's a different view, a different um, take on leadership, if you will, um, because I don't want our Tuck students to come out thinking that because they have a Tuck degree and haven't done any um, personal, insightful uh, self-revelation work or self-revealing work that somehow they're ready because you're not. The, um, the In fact, actually, in looking at your work and, um, and how you talk about the work, I hear the phrase self-reflection all the time. And um, is that a functional, is that functionally about the best leaders are authentic? Is it, is it about authenticity? And uh, like, you can't be authentic until you actually sort of really look inwards and say, who is this human being that is Joan Gary? Is it, is it about that? There is a piece of that. I think I, I used to like the word authenticity. I think it's overused in some of the wrong ways. Okay. And I think it gets everybody in a lot of trouble that being authentic means that, you know, you're just totally open. You're totally vulnerable 24 seven. Um, you're, you know, out, you know, um, you can't necessarily handle a crisis because you're so busy um, processing and all those other stereotypes that kind of come out with the word authentic. Huh. Um, and I think it's catchy. Because there are times when particularly a woman and a woman of color um, or a woman with a different sexual orientation can be very vulnerable if you're too authentic at the wrong time. 
what I like to frame is you know who you are at all times. In a crisis, in good times, in times that are not so good, you are grounded based on who you are. Um, you know, and, and, and that's a little bit different than being, you know, authentic. Um, I can be very authentic and be highly introverted. Um, and that's not basically who people think of me as, but I have my introverted moments. Those are authentic. Um, they're real. What's the real you? Um, so, so when you, when, sorry, I'll keep going. No, go, go, go. No, no go. So, so when you talk about who you are, is there a canal? Now, you can tell me I, this is an overused word too, if you want to. Um, does that tie to sort of your personal values? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And how you learned those values. Who taught you? Who taught you? Me? I think who taught you is a, an important question. How did you learn that? Right. We learn we're not valuable as women oftentimes because somebody didn't value us. Who taught you not to value? Who taught you to value? Where'd you learn that from? And to really take stock of your life journey and understand that a lot of the things that you think about yourself, they were taught to you. And if they were taught to you and if they're not good things, I'm not worthy. I don't belong here. I can't do this. I don't ever see myself as a leader. Okay. All those things. Who taught you that? Because if you can learn it, you can unlearn it. And I'm not saying that leadership is taught. I'm just saying that what we think about ourselves at the core, somebody taught us. Right. What do we need to understand? What do we hold on to in that process? And what do we need to let go of? So I'm, so I, I give you an example, actually. I'm coaching this client who has never been, she, she has run a program in a bigger organization and it's spinning off kind of like Frasier to Cheers, right? And, uh, <laughs> and she's not, she, she's not, she has absolutely no imposter syndrome about running an organization, but she has a unique way of living in the world. And I, uh, and we were talking about um, who she is and how that will impact, in some ways, the, 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 the organization she runs, right? So she's a bit of a technocrat, right? She is not somebody who is going to make a speech and give anybody some goosebumps, but boy, oh boy, does she do her homework and she values that. And right. And so, uh, and so we talked a lot about who you are as a leader actually impacts the, the gestalt of your organization. And is right. that what you mean when you talk about who you are? I mean, we, I got, that's the, the, we had this sort of existential conversation in my last coaching session with her about, okay, you're not, you're not the, standard brand P.T. Barnum leader at all, right? Um, and talked about some of the, I said, what are you, who are you at essence? Like, what are the things that are valuable? I've had three sessions with you and I get 
that you're somebody who's about facts and data and homework and like is 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 that the kind of thing like she doesn't like drama that was another thing we determined right like like those kinds of conversations and for her to embrace that and say this is who I am will make her a more effective leader I think I think it'll make her more grounded you know I, I always like to use the example um if you're not grounded anything can just throw you for a loop and the one thing we know right now around leadership <clears throat> is that you cannot be afford to be thrown for a loop because stuff is crazy out here in this universe that we live in. Um, the environment, the culture, this historical moment is just amazing. And you've got to be grounded. You don't have to have the answers, okay? But you do have to be grounded. Why? Because if you're grounded, you'll know how to get the answers. What's you the know? intersection, Ella? What's now? Let me throw another word in. What's the inter- what's the relationship between being grounded and ego? Grounded means that your ego's to me means that your ego's in check. Yeah. When you're not grounded, your ego can be running the show. Right. And what we know about ego, ego is wonderful, but ego's not always good for your organization, good for you. Ego's all about you. Leadership is all about others, okay? Ego is all about who, look at me. Leadership should be looking at my people. I'm only as good as my people, as my team. If my team's not good, then, you know, but ego won't let you see that. So you've been around. Let's let's add one other component to it. Please, please. Let's add shadow. Mm. The dark side. Because when you're in ego mode, the shadow side, and Jung describes that as the psychologist, um, Swiss psychologist Carl Jung, describes uh, the shadow as our dark side. We all have a dark side. Okay, we like to project that only others have dark sides, but those things that have really caused you shame, humiliation, embarrassment in your life your dark side, uh, those things that just hurt you to the core and how we don't necessarily heal from those things, okay? Mm-hmm. When ego's in control, your dark side can dance out. And it's a very deep unconscious process. So when your dark side is, is out, um, let me just give you an example that I think you're, everybody will know about. The good old movie, The Lion King, right? Yep. Think about old Scar. Scar lives in his shadow. He lives in his dark side. Okay, I love Scar because he is such a wounded character. He really is. Um, And he's just angry and he's depressed and he hangs out with, you know, the the, the lowest animals on on, on the life chain, the food chain, the hyenas. And I mean, he's depressed. He doesn't have any love. And when he takes over, He's full of revenge and anger. And what happens to Pride Rock? It dies. When you have a leader who is all ego, my hypothesis is the country dies. The country dies. And, you know, you can see a little bit of that happening in this country right now. Yeah. So that's a a, a good. And let me just, you know, we start leadership out of the box. 
our first day, we look at the Lion King, okay? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah. I, I'm, I'm guessing there aren't a lot of leadership classes that start that way. Um, so what do you think about the leadership demands of people, especially women, here in the year 2021? And do you feel it's different from what has been demanded of leaders, especially women, say, 10 or 20 years ago? How's it all different? Or is it? I think women get it threefold. You can't be twice as good. You've got to be three times good. And if you're a woman of color, you better be four times as good. Um, that has not changed. Um, I think we hold ourselves to very high expectations. We have to because people are watching uh, and people are willing to let you get tripped up real easily. So I don't think being a, a female leader, and first of all, there's not this, this, you know, big, well, the female leader, women are different. And we need to remember that women are different. There's all kinds of intersectionalities within the female gender. Okay. So we need to understand that different women will experience things differently and you can see group differences. Um, black women, you, you, you pay a, a high price until you finally realize, I think there's a point where you, you, you realize, and I think it's in the line of maturity uh -huh. that you've got this. I always call it, it's the wake up. And I like when I coach women and they're in the process of waking up. It's like, wait a minute, I, I, I can do this. And I'm not going to worry about what everybody around me says. It's a groundedness in knowing what you know. And you're still open to learning. You're still, you can allow yourself to be vulnerable. Um, you can talk to the folks that make you angry and just tick you off. And you know they're after you off with your head. But you can still go in there and say, look, you know, I know you're ticked about yada, 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 yada. But right now we've got to do da, 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 da. And you need, you know, are you going to be on the team or are you not? It's doing the hard work. It's building the relationship and just being brutally honest about um, what is happening in a tactful way, in a way that doesn't burn the bridge. You know, we're in this together. So, you know, why do I feel you're over here when I need you over here? Those are tough conversations to have. And you can't shy away from those conversations. Too often I see women um, try to do it all. You know, oh, I, I, I'm not even going to bother. I'm just going to, because then you're not delegating. You're not developing your team. You're not being a good team player. Um, and that feedback has some, some truth to it that you're getting. Okay. Yep. You've got to know how, if you're a woman leader, you, you've got to know how to have tough conversations. You can't get caught up in all the glitter because they are going to glitterize you every which way. Um, I know, and I can think of several women leaders um, that just got, you know, all the press, all the this, they were on the cover on, the, you know, Fortune magazine. They were in the New York Times. They were all the business section. They were always written up. Um, I always tell senior women, get a good press person so that you're not out there. It shouldn't be about you all the time. It needs to be about your team. 
Mm-hmm. Men can get away with that to some degree. Women cannot get away with that. You can tell your story, but you can't be on every magazine cover and, you know, oh, oh, she's just, because when they take you down and they take you down, you don't hear those women anymore. Well, and I think one of the things you're talking about here is that the story becomes the story doesn't become about the person. The story becomes about the innovation or the amazing new X, Y, and Z that under Ella's leadership with her team, we made possible that the, the centerpiece is the work, the innovation. That's the story. And the mechanism by which you got there was a great team with a great leader, right? And see, when the story becomes about you, it's very easy to take you down. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think about the woman who ran Mattel. I cannot think of her name to save my life. But I always use her as the story is a wonderful example. Um, she was taken down when they brought her in. She revised Barbie. You know, nobody was thinking about little old Barbie. Um, and but what they did, they kept describing her. If you look at the photos of her. Um, they took pictures, like she was Barbie. Oh, she's so cute. She's so this, and she's at her desk, and she's like all perky, you know, and she didn't want it to happen. She kept saying, you know, talk about the work. They kept talking about her. Right. And when they took her down, they took her down just horribly, horribly. When they take women down, they are, I mean, it is horrible how they take women down, and they don't care. And those women don't get back up. Men get back up. Men get back up. They get better jobs. Yeah, yeah. Women do not get, have you noticed? Women don't get back up. Have you noticed? Yeah. I am, um, slight digression, but when I was first hired at GLAAD, the journalist came and the photographer came to my office at Showtime. And I was naive, actually. Um, I, I still have some moments of naivete, I will admit it. Um, It's part of who I am, I think. Um, (laughs) And um, they said, why don't you put your feet up on your desk? And why don't you do blah, blah, blah? And they posed me. I use this picture all the time as an object lesson. Like, don't do what they tell you. Because she was setting me up. I was coming from corporate America into the nonprofit space. And they wanted an image that said, this woman has a big office in corporate America. And she has no activist chops. Who the hell does she think she is? And I was so naive and I, I, I didn't fall down and I, I navigated and I navigated by identifying allies in the sector and some of which were already on my team to, to get the kind of grounding and the kind of, to develop a compass for how to yeah. lead. And, yeah. um, but that, I think that picture could have taken me down actually. I mean, you, and- and we don't realize it because if we're first generation and it's not the imposter syndrome, okay? I, I, I'm not saying that there isn't an imposter syndrome, but there is a generational imprint. Um, many of many women are first generation. So mommy and daddy did not talk about work, business, the corporate arena, not for profit or any of that at the dinner table, okay? So this is a totally unknown entity to you. 
And you think, okay, I better listen because I don't know. What do I know? And the reality of it is you are being set up. You're like the, the, the Thanksgiving turkey on a platter. Hard <laughs> up, okay? Yep. That's why I always tell women, have a good PR person on your team, communication person on your team, because you get set up and you haven't even started yet. Yeah, so You haven't even started the job yet. And, and, and here you are on, on the Thanksgiving platter to get carved. Yeah, totally. Uh, yeah, that, that is how people met me, actually. Yeah, exactly. You're listening to Nonprofits Are Messy. Thank you for joining me today. In case you haven't picked up my latest book, during COVID lockdown, I took time from Netflix binging to rewrite my first edition of Joan Gary's Guide to Nonprofit Leadership. I wanted to make sure that board and staff leaders had a new guide to help them to navigate a very different world, one where old rules don't apply, and some new rules will be critical to thriving. This version is in paperback, and you can learn more about it at book.joangary.com. And now back to the podcast. So I want to, I want to, um, I want to guide us over about to talk about the intersection of leadership and DEI work, mm. right? So the the headline for you, right? is leadership and that DEI is a, if, if I have this right, and you'll tell, of course tell me if I don't. Um, and the subhead is DEI is a strategy of leadership, right? So, so you, talk about this for me because I, I think it's really, really important. It's like, as I said in the open, you go looking for a DEI consultant, but, but Ella Bell says, go look for a leadership person and the DEI work follows because you can't, that you you can't do DEI work without the, doing the leadership work. So help people understand this because I I actually don't think people get this. And I you and I and I I I'm learning it from you. I think it comes from years of being um, of doing diversity work and affirmative action work. I'm I, I'm I've I've seen the the different stages um, and started early, early and had some master, master teachers, I should say, uh, who did DNI work um, when it was called something else. And it's toxic all by itself, number one. Um, you don't see um, the changes you'd like to see. Uh, it is constantly fighting, constantly. And on all sides, okay, not just you know trying to push um, an inclusive uh, agenda with senior white executives, males and females, um, but you're also trying to you know develop and grow and and to ground your your your, your people of color, African Americans and Hispanics and Asians too, because um, Asians catch hell. Um, and, you know, I got tired of it. I was, I, my blood pressure was up. I, I just said, I can't do this anymore. And then we developed a leadership program for women. Um, Sarah Ellis was a part of that program. And what, what I learned was, you know, we were, and this was for a diverse group of women on, on many levels. And um, I was going to put them in, you know, here's all the black women and here's all the, you know, the Hispanic women and here's all. And we didn't have time in the program to do that. 
And I was like, okay, wait a minute. How, how are we? And we did a lot of intense leadership work. Um, your, your lifeline, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, circus acts. How do you manage in the different arenas in your life? Um, and lo and behold, in the leadership work, people started talking about how they learned about race. In the leadership work, people started talking about how they were isolated and how they were juggling and, you know, the burdens of being Black, female, lesbian, uh, poor, one we don't ever talk about, class, right. okay? Yep. Um, all those stories started coming out. And when those stories started coming out and we started processing those stories, oh my God, the light bulb went on. It was like, wait a minute. Instead of trying to get people to go heads on, well, how did you learn about Black people? And when was the last time and Black people coming in? Well, you know, how much racism have you experienced? And, you know, ah! tell me about your life. When did you learn? How did you learn? Share that story. The healing that took place based on the tears. Mm-hmm. The tears. Okay. The connection, the depth of relationship, uh, understanding that everybody has something and some is greater than others. Okay. Um, that race for Black women isn't necessarily a burden because white people, were white, the white women were, well, we thought it was a burden being Black. And it's a, got wrong, 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 wrong. Okay. Uh, why do you think it's a burden? Let's unpack that. Where'd you get that from? How'd you learn that? Oh, well, I, I, you know, um, the stories, the stories enabling people to really know each other at their core, core, but also to know who they are at their core. And that's when I said, you know what? There is a healthier, more holistic more healing because you can't accept somebody else if you can't accept yourself. You can't embrace someone else across the color line if you're in competition with yourself. If you're so critical and judgmental on you, I need you to stay away from me because you're really going to do a number on me because you're doing a number on you. Let's identify the number that you're doing on you so you can stop doing it on everybody else, okay? (laughs) And then we can begin to figure out, okay, now how do we bring bring people together? How is this impacting your, your leadership? How are you developing and leading other people? How are you feeling? And that little black girl that pushed you off your little skateboard that you're still pissed at and you can't make friends with black girls, how are you handling that, Um, you know, as as a grown woman? Um, For the white male who only saw a black woman come in and clean his kitchen, and now all of a sudden you've got black women who are on the same level. What did that teach you about black women, Um, about being in a servitude position and now they're working around you? What do you think you're holding on to in, in, in that one? Sounds like there's also a lot of in in the, so I heard the word holistic, right? Mm-hmm. Is that we're not, right, we're going to talk about your story and in that how, what you learned about 
different people through that story. After I heard the word holistic, I'm also hearing a hell of a lot of curiosity, right? The hell of a lot of question marks, right? You're hearing a lot of clinical too. You're hearing clinical too. Um, This is knowing who you are, going and discovering all those parts that you have buried and that you might not think about. It's mindfulness. It's intentional leadership. Mm -hmm. I was talking to David Thomas, who's the president of Morehouse. And we were spending some, we we go way back (laughs) and we were talking. And he says, you're talking about intentional leadership, mindful leadership. I was like, whoa, Uh, it's being intentional about what I've learned and how I am now manifesting this in my leadership style, in my work, in my belief, in my thinking of who I am, but who are the people that I'm leading about my clients, okay? So it's a much broader kind of approach. People say it's gentler. It's not really gentler. What it is, it's, it's, it's hard. It's very, very, very hard. Because you're doing a self-dive. Yeah. But what you're not doing is you're not doing a dive into, well, this is how, you're not doing a dive into your anger. And for Black people doing this work, I've got to make sure that they get to grow. Part of the problem with diversity work is that the work often leads Black people to take care of white people. Okay, I don't want to make you angry. I don't want to make you this, but this is what, you know, you know, it is this delicate dance. Um, there's but so much I'm going to say because how I, I, I don't trust you. Okay, I, I, and I, I, I'm not going to go, I'm not going to put myself out there because I know you're not going to put yourself out there. Um, and I'm really angry because you don't trust me and you don't believe in me anyway. So why am I sitting in this room with you? Okay, and and on the white side, well, you know, I'm not really sure you're competent, but I'm going to try to do this anyway. And, you know, uh, I'm looking at my watch. Um, Nobody grows from that. Nobody learns from that. Um, I want to put you in a position, particularly my people of color, that they get to do some development work instead of worrying and taking care of the white folks. And, and, And that sounds horrible, but, you know, when do we get a chance to do our development work? When do we get a chance to do our, our development work? I think that's an important question that we have to, have to ask ourselves. And as a teacher and as a facilitator, I've got to make sure that um, my people are getting a chance to develop and grow um, just as much as their white counterparts that's important for me. Yep. That's, it's important full stop, really. Yeah. And, 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 you, can, and you can do both. You, you, you can do both. Um, um, yeah, and I, I think you, you're making the argument that you have to. Um, we're talking to, we're talking to Ella Bell. We're talking about leadership. We're talking about DEI work. Um, and Ella is somebody who has built her life and career around transforming other people's lives, teaching, mentoring, leading, inspiring. Um, this is somebody Woo! who says you focus on the impact, focus on knowing yourself, and it can impact every aspect of your life. 
She has worked with leading experts in the management of race and gender and class in the workplace. Uh, she teaches at Tuck's MBA program and uh, has a couple of books, uh, Career GPS, Strategy for Women Navigating the New Corporate Landscape, and her colleague Stella Nicomo, and she have co-authored the groundbreaking and critically acclaimed book, Our Separate Ways, Black and White Women and the Struggle for Professional Identity. Um, the credentials go on and on, but the podcast can't. Um, so riddle me this. Yes, ma'am. I, I've been curious about this. I hear this, hear this statement a lot, and I wanted your reaction to it. The common phrase I hear, going back to D&I work here, Common phrase I hear is that everybody is on a different leg of the DNI journey. I hear that a lot. We're all on a different leg of the journey. And I want to know, I, I don't know that I, I, what do we really mean when we say that? And is it actually code for something? So it's so sort of like if I say, you know, you're on a different leg of the journey than I am. Does that mean like I'm behind? Like, I don't know. I, it's a very common phrase I hear now is we're all on different legs of the journey. And I just, I, I really wanted to know what you thought of that phrase and what it carries. And it, is it, does it carry good things or is it a kind of a double-edged sword? Double-edged sword. Some people are no legs at all. How about that? <laughs> okay, let's, let's get clear on that. Um, We've been doing this work a long time. Companies have short memories. And companies love to check the box. And a couple of things. We're on different legs. Every time you get a new leader, you get a different leg. You might get a CEO who might be all for this. You might get a CEO that says, you've done that. We've been doing that. We've spent a lot of money. Different leg. Um, I think that's a great coping or excuse, if you will, to say that we're not where we need to be, mm -hmm. where we should be. Uh, we're not being fully accountable. Isn't it also, Ella, um, if somebody says that, there's, a, there's also a, I, I, the word contest is coming to my mind, which is not the word I really want to use, but like, I'm further along in my journey than you are. Okay, so make me feel bad, okay? Right, so there's something about where we are on the journey and who is how far along, like as if it's some- See, it's a little secret. You might be first today, but you might be last next in the following year. I've seen companies that, I've worked with companies, I've seen companies that have been highly progressive, have moved, I mean, just moved the eight ball and- in three years have lost everything that they've done. Everything that they've done. Okay? You don't stay first in this. The reality of it is, is that this is ongoing, continuous, business-level work. This is not something that gets pushed down into HR. This is not something, well, this was our theme this year, and we did all our work, so we're done. Um, and, oh, look where we are, because look where you are will not get you where you need to be tomorrow. It's a constant, constant, and uh, it requires money. It requires resources. 
It requires, it demands people with authority. It demands accountability. And we have short histories. Let me just, you know, a little, a little quick story. I went into a company and this is a company that's been doing work a long time. They had the masters, the masters, okay? They had the girls, the masters. So I go in a company a couple of years later and this black male, young black male comes up to me and, you know, um, I, I'm first generation here and, and you know, um, we, you know, we're now doing it at this company, you know, now that we're here and they didn't have a history. I look at this child. <laughs> I said to him, you haven't done your homework, have you? Do you know who has been in this company? Do you know what was done in this company? Because there's no memory, because there's no history, because there's no storytelling about this, because we just take a mindset, well, we check the box. So there's no storytelling around this at all. It's not part of our history at all. The reality of it is, is that every group that comes in, I'm new, new kid on the block. No, you're not. You're standing on shoulders. Do you understand you're standing on shoulders? So when you tell me, you know, we're on different legs, when I hear that, that tells me we're not where we need to be. We are so far behind. Mm. Interesting. Um, <laughs> let's talk about nonprofit leadership. So, um, you know, it, it it demands something oh, yeah. to lead a nonprofit that has a, you know, a, a a mission that drives emotion and passion and all of those things and. Um, and, you know, I know you've done work with both nonprofit CEOs and with for-profit CEOs. I did. CEOs. I had a not-for-profit. It's the hardest thing I've ever done. What have you, what, what have you learned over time about nonprofit <laughs> leaders? How I messed up? <laughs> my incompetence? <laughs> oh, my God. Um, I had severe founder syndrome. Mm. Um, and had to do it all. And I, you know, I, I'm not good at numbers. I'm not good at the business side of something because I'm, right. you know, I'm, I'm, twink, I'm, I'm, I'm Twinker Bell. So I've got fairy dust all over the daggone place instead of, you know, business. Um, I chose the wrong people. Um, struggling for resources, 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 resources. Um, on the politics, the politics, the politics. Um, it is the hardest thing to do um, with all the great intentions, all the great passion, all the great love in the world. Um, I take my hats off to folks and not for profits because, I mean, it is passion work. It is hard work. Um, you are really trying to make a difference. And um, you tend to one, you don't have the technical resources, the financial resources, the human resource, the human capital resources that you need. Um, you've got to keep up on so, so much. And, you know, the standards, you know, all the different reports and things that you have to do to show that you're accountable. Um, I wonder if the corporate folks have to do that as much too. Um, there's right. something about <laughs> not-for-profits. They don't know what they're doing. So, you know, all the reports, all the paperwork. Ay, 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 ay. I, I take my hats off. 
What does not. what so 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 you're a uh, self-confessed uh, founder syndrome? Not, yes, right. Not <laughs> you're not the ideal nonprofit leader, right? So, what does it take to be really good at it? Do you think? Um, you've got to know how to delegate. You've got to have the right people around you. Oh my God, you've got to have the right and take your time in finding the right people. Amen. Oh my gosh. Can we just stay on that for just a second? So I can just say the urgency to put a butt in a seat because the work won't wait is not your friend, my friend. Oh God. Try to get that, try to get the wrong. Yeah. Try to get that wrong butt out of that seat. You all know, wait, get the right person on the bus. Oh my God. Wrong butt in seat. Yay. Um, You've got to have detail. If you're not detailed, you've got to have a detailed person right by your side. Um, You've got to have a funding source that is built more so than you, 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 you realize Um, you really do have to have a a good funding sources that are, are going to really be there um, with you. Um, You've got to market, 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 market. We don't market not-for-profits really well. And people need to know what what you're doing. Um, If you're a think tank, then you better start producing. (laughs) You also have to produce. In in addition to running the business, you got to produce. And you've got to produce good things. We were selling leadership. We were nonprofit for women's leaders. um, And we did a good job. We also had to, you know, do thought papers on what gets in the way of women not doing a good job. And, you know, it, it's, it's, it's a full-time, full-time job. The other thing is you have to continue to develop mm-hmm. yourself. I think that's important. Um, do not be afraid to have a coach. Do not be afraid to have, um, to, to, to work on what you, what you know you need to do. And don't be afraid to grow. I mean, How about I, I, this one? I, Don't be afraid to take care of yourself. Oh, I can't even get to that yet. What did that look like? <laughs> what was that? Okay, what was that? You know, I, I, I just, I, first of all, that I'm not good at that. That's number one. Um, but number, but that's that's so true. Um, to be able to take care of yourself and, um. For me, too, it was also, and I think what not-for-profit leaders, you know, you can't save everybody in your area, in your field. This this savior syndrome, you know, oh my God, you, you can't do that. Um, prioritize what you can do and stay in your lane. That was another thing that, I, that was a, a good lesson. That one I could do, but stay in your lane. Know what your product is. Stay in your lane and do that. Do that well. I like that. I like that. Um, so if time went for one more question and, um, and I, you know, all you have to do is go and look at a, you know, a list of um, firms that are focused on doing DEI work with nonprofits and for-profits and, they're expanding, they're, you know, they're overextended. Everybody's out there um, ready. Well, no, everybody's out there looking for a firm because they believe they are 
that that's an ur- a call an urgent call to action for them and i guess um uh there are so many people who are out there ready to invest and i'm not talking about money although i, I suppose for some that's at the top of the list when it shouldn't be um invest in this dei work and i um and I guess I wanted to ask for you to offer the folks who are listening today, um, how do you know when you're ready? Are, are you ever ready? Um, yeah, just generally, what advice would you offer all these folks for whom boards are saying, we need to do this? When are we going to get started? What does it look like? This sort of the pressure that people feel to do this work. Um give them some, give them a big dose of Ella Bell insight here as we, uh, as we, as we try to take this conversation home. You're never ready to do this work. Our society is not ready to do this work. Have you turned on the news? Do you see what's going on in this historical moment with voted, voted rights, with police brutality, with Black Lives Matter, with Asians being attacked? with synagogues being burnt down, okay? With gay um, activists not being told they're deemed worthy at, at certain Olympic events, okay? You know, transgender kids that are told they can't participate in sports, you know? We're never ready. Our society is so far from being ready. So the reality of it is the work's got to start. Unfortunately, I think the workplace is going to be the place where we actually learn to bring people together because it's not in our communities right now. It just mm. isn't. Our communities, I mean, I live in North Carolina, Charlotte, and it's resegregating by the second. Okay. By this, the school's already resegregated. Okay. Um, so the reality of it is where am I going to meet people who are different? Where do I have to work with people who are different? It's going to be at work. Um, you've got to jump off the cliff. And it's got to be done in a way where people don't feel guilty, angry. But there is accountability. I, as a Black woman, I, I, I'm way tired now of I've got to be accountable in everything I do. And, you know, people in power and everywhere else, white people, they, they don't seem to be pretty accountable. They're not accountable. I'm like, whoa, wait a minute. You know, I can't bring my olive leaf to you until I see some accountability right now. I'm so stuck. I am, I'm just, I'm just, you see, I'm just, ah. Um, But you've got to start. You've got to start. And there's no right or wrong way of getting people to respect each other, to understand our history. Um, uh, this whole conversation around my mind just went blank on the term critical race theory. You don't teach kids critical race theory, okay? As a as a consultant, I don't go in and talk about well, here's critical race theory mm-hmm. in an organizational context. Critical race theory is taught in, in in law schools for crying out loud. Okay, let's get straight here. Um. Somewhere people have to understand that there are multiple realities of other people. 
that the playing field is not level, that there is privilege. As a Black woman at the Tuck School of Business at Dartmouth, I have privilege. Okay. Yep. Let's, 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 let, let's get clear that now as a kid from the South Bronx, my parent, no, we, no, I did not. I was not raised with a privileged spoon in my mouth. I was more privileged than the kids that lived in the projects though. Let's get clear about that as well. Okay. Right. So the reality is, is that you have got to move forward. We've got to move society forward. And unfortunately, that is the business case right now. You want good products, you want innovation, you want creativity, you want a productive workforce. Guess what? You're going to have to develop your people and developing them who they are, where they come from, respecting, understanding that. What's their journey? What's their story? What do they bring that's unique to your table? Because they're bringing some unique spice to your table. How are you going to take advantage of it? How are you going to benefit from it? How are you going to grow that? Those are important questions. Okay. How are you going to grow that globally in a pandemic? Okay. Let's get clear. In a pandemic, we can't afford not to do this work. Our country is in bad shape right now around race, around the intersection of race, gender, and class. If not now, when? How bad does it have to be that you're not, that you won't begin to take a step? So um, it feels like a, uh, just the right place to to end with a friendly amendment that you heard Ella talk about for the last um, 50 or so minutes, which is it is fundamentally about leadership and how you show up as a leader, right? And it is about self-reflection and knowing yourself and sharing your stories and what you learned and from whom. And that builds relationships and trust and, and an understanding and a mutual kind of respect. And it is not a, okay, it's more than just I have to do DEI work. It's about I have to do leadership work. I have to actually know my people. I have to actually really build a team, right, where there's spicy people at the table, right, as you called it. Right. And um, and so I wanted to just say, um, Ella, that I I uh, knew in meeting you that you offer a not just a passion for this, but a perspective about this kind of work that I knew I wanted to share with my listeners um, that is about really fundamentally about leadership and knowing yourself. And I um, uh, just in the brief time we have known each other, I have benefited from our conversations. And I know that our listeners did, but there isn't a conversation I've had with you where I it has not stretched me as well. So I just wanted to say, A, thank you. And B, I know that you squeezed this in prior to a wonderful vacation to Hawaii where you're going to spend time really doing that kind of introspective work. And if you could just get your bags packed, maybe you'll actually get there. 
<laughs> anyway, I just wanted to say thank you and you're oh, the best. Joe, and I thank love you. It. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. I, I appreciate our friendship. Um, I missed the opportunity to work with you guys, but I do appreciate the friendship and the conversations. Um, thank you for being a woman who um, is willing to be a co-conspirer. <laughs> willing to get in there and you know and fight um to make a difference appreciate that about well you, and, and in this we are kindred spirits so yes, we are. thank yes, you very much are. ella bell and to, to all of you who are listening thank you so much for the work that you do to repair the world in ways large and small um you are our heroes and um our leaders and um take good care of yourselves and we'll see you next time Thanks so much for spending time with me today. I hope you found the conversation valuable as you navigate the messy world of nonprofits. Check out all my other resources at joangary.com. Hope you find them helpful too. Lastly, thank you for the work you do to repair the world in ways large and small. I'll see you next time.